This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You guys have heard me talk about Red Door Grill for almost a year now on 610 Sports Radio, and they're the proud sponsor of the Bobcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm a proud eater at Red Door Grill. In fact, my family and I love going to Red Door Grill, not just on Mondays for burgers or Thursdays for fried chicken, but just about every single day of the week. Because every time we walk into a Red Door Grill location, we're walking out of there feeling satisfied, feeling great, and knowing we got some of the best food in Kansas City. $5 burgers on Monday is where the week starts. You're not going to find a better deal than that. The best burger in town for just $5. You want some fries, it'll cost you a buck more. And then on Thursday, we have the jalapeno dipped fried chicken. That fried chicken starts marinating on Monday. It marinates on Tuesday. It marinates on Wednesday. It's got the herbs and spices to get into that chicken and then boom they flash fry it on thursday to give you the best fried chicken that you'll ever have and then of course happy hour every weekday monday through friday from three to six that's where we cash in sometimes on fridays as well enjoy those great drinks enjoy the great appetizer specials from three to six every single weekday at red door grill and with three locations there's one close to everybody 159th and antioch 119th and uh row in town center plaza in leewood and camelot court and of course you can find the location in Brookside as well. It's Red Door Grill. For almost 30 years, John Holt has been a familiar face on Fox 4 News. He's been doing it since 1994. You can see him at 5, 6, and 9, and he also serves as an investigative and special projects reporter for Fox 4 News. But that's not all. There's nobody more involved in the community than John Holt. Whether you're going to a charity event, whether you're going to a sporting event, whatever the case may be, John Holt is there and has become one of the most trusted faces in all of Kansas City when it comes to delivering the news. Here's the latest Red Door Grill KC Bobcast featuring Fox 4 anchor and local TV legend John Holt. 1994, you start in Kansas City and boom, you're on the air and OJ trials going on. And that had to be the most thrilling thing for me. I'm an OJ dork. I love everything about it. I love following the trial. Even to this day, OJ, OJ, OJ is all about me and I love watching everything about it. What was it like for you to be in Kansas City and your first big assignment is I got to anchor this OJ trial? Well, I was weekend mornings, all right? When they hired That's me. That's big time. Remember, it was, it was, for those who've been around, they had gone, they were moving from uh, NBC to Fox, right? Mm-hmm. WDAF, I think it was uh, Action 4 News, News Channel 4. So they were moving to Fox. That's how I got in. They were hiring people left and right because the, the change got moved up. Mm-hmm. So I get in the dorm to weekend mornings, reporting three days a week, and all of a sudden OJ's looming, and our GM at the time, guy by the name of Ed Piet, very forward-thinking guy, we had very little programming, Bob. I mean, it was you're talking about a, a brand new Fox affiliate, and back then Fox had two hours at night. That's it, um, and we were doing a lot of news. He had decided to make us the CNN of Kansas City was his view, and he said, "Wow, our afternoon talk shows that we've thrown on because we didn't have the soap operas anymore are doing horrible in the ratings. Right? They get the overnights. Wonder how the OJ trial would do." And he thought, "Let's do the OJ trial here and bring in local analysts, attorneys." And how would this trial play out in, you know, Jackson County or Johnson County? 
And, oh, wait, we have a guy on the staff, a new guy who is has a law degree, right? right? So for me, it was a heck of a break and a heck of an opportunity because the best part of what, well, best part of what I love about what you do is you don't have a teleprompter. You're just talking. You're just having a conversation. Well, OJ allowed me to do that. And we brought in these attorneys and I had a chance along with Phil Witt, who was also uh, the main anchor at the time. Mm -hmm. I did the morning sessions. He did the afternoon. And in the afternoon, I'd slide over and interview the attorneys. Um, the, the, The only issue I had was I was, I had never done any criminal work. I had taken some criminal law classes and loved them, but it was it was a baptism by fire for me to have to study a little bit about California trial law and criminal law and then bring in attorneys who I was drawing from. And it was fun. I mean, I had a great time. And I was told later by Ed Piet, you know, that accelerated your timeline here because I was on every day, almost every day, uh, and then still worked one weekend day. They thankfully gave me one day off. Um, and... And I, he, I had exposure in the market I would never have had. When did you realize that that trial, the OJ trial, was not about law, but it was about race relations and all the underlying issues that were going on in Los Angeles at the time? Good question. And, I, and I don't know that I knew that right away. I think it, it took a little while for that to develop. Um, and, of course, when I wasn't on the air, I was immersing myself in whatever info I could get about the trial and and some of the analysis and watching some of the cable channels so I can kind of follow what the national viewpoint is. And that's when it sort of began to to come together, coalesce, and Mm -hmm. and you realized, okay, by the end of this thing, I think it was like nine months, as I recall, you know, from start to finish, um, you, you know, it didn't take too long to realize, okay, this is about, you know, race and it's about police versus you know, African-Americans, minorities in a major urban center uh, long before Ferguson, right, mm-hmm. long before any of the, the current issues, um, it became pretty clear that this was a, a, a an exper- sociology experiment. There was a lot going on. Yeah, there, there really was. Yeah. And, and like I said, I'm still fascinated by it to this day. I, I think everything about the whole trial is fascinating. It really does give you a slice of what was going on in America and what still is probably going on in America. You know, as we talked about Ferguson, that was 20 years after OJ, and exactly. we're still seeing stuff, you know, because it, it just seems like race relations are always going to be a topic in this country. And, and big events like that bring it to light and make everybody realize we're still not doing the right things in right, this country right. you know and, you know some of the questioning when, when there was a director cross sex by the defense you began to you began to see the tone being set for the jury mm-hmm. um that uh you know this man was not treated fairly um i'll never forget too that there were parts of the trial that really drug on one of them was dna and if you remember the dna was a fairly new concept it had been admitted in trials was starting to but oj put it out there for the public to see and i, I i'll never forget it the, the the woman the expert who testified who did the dna work at robin cotton i found out later she had actually testified in a johnson county kansas case. oh wow uh, either 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 during the course or prior to the trial or, or shortly thereafter so um that was those those that q a that direct and cross was deadly i mean it, as for television it was awful but it was educational too for, sure if, if you paid attention you could learn a little bit about dna science and how it was becoming important did did you think you know you'd sit here one day and say wow oj simpson got my career going like you're not a football <laughs> player or, you know you weren't in the movies no. but oj simpson really is responsible for you getting that jump start in kansas city to make you you know i mean you probably you and Ketz are probably the two anchormen that everybody trusts now and everybody knows and if it was 
wasn't for OJ, maybe you never get to that spot. Well, or I get there slower for sure. And and Ed Piet made that very clear. He said the fact that you were on all that time allowed the local metro audience to get to know you in a way that now I'm positioned. And I think the first newscast I did after OJ ended was the nine o'clock news, and then ultimately they added the five. So I've I've done the five and nine almost exclusively since, and then last uh, two years ago, I guess, added the six as well. So um, it, it was a real opportunity for me. But if you look at, across the landscape, uh, for a lot of attorneys who were national cable stars, Greta Van Susteren comes mm-hmm. to uh, probably mind for me because she and Roger Kosick were the two main analysts on CNN. Remember, right. there, were, there was no MSNBC. No, no that was it. it was, it was, I watched CNN all yes, the time. Yeah. CNN and Court TV were the two cable outlets carrying that trial. And so Roger... Kosick and Greta Van Susteren were the two. They became celebrities. And then Greta went on. I think Roger still shows up occasionally, but she went on to a a cable. Fox News hired her, put her on. She had her own show. Now I think she's at MSNBC uh, or CNN. I've kind of lost track of her. But at any rate, yeah. So in in a small way, much, much smaller platform, it did jumpstart my career in Kansas City. For well, sure. it, it definitely did. And and now every time you look around at a charity event, hey, there's John Holt. There, <laughs> there's John Holt doing this. There's John Holt doing that. And you and I are involved in a lot of that stuff yeah, together yeah. and do a lot of that stuff. Why do you think it's so important to have that involvement in the community? And when did you realize it was important for you to have that involvement? Before I answer that question, it just occurred to me, one other thing that the O.J. Simpson trial did for me was it connected me or networked me with a lot of local attorneys I might never have met. One of them, one of our very early OJ analysts, was a guy by the name of Sly James. No kidding. He was a regular on our panel. He uh-huh. was a, a young plaintiff's attorney at the time, had his own firm, uh-huh. and he and he connected with some other attorneys. And some of the attorneys who I met then are now, you know, a lot of them do defense type work. Right. Uh, former prosecutors have moved. So it was a it was a great opportunity there. Um, back to your question. You know, I've always been one of those people who enjoyed meeting and like you, you know, you network, you get to know people, you hear what's going on in your community. And one of the best ways to do that is be involved. Um, I tell people for me, it's not the treasure. I'm not writing the big check, but if I can MC a gala or a luncheon or show up and help uh, with an event or be on a board or a committee, that's kind of how I like to give back. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, another way folks can, can do so. And for, we also, that same Ed Piat who, who hired me, he was a believer in Fox 4, WDAF, being involved in the community. He was one of the pioneer GMs who community involvement was going to help our brand for, for, a good, for the good of the community, but also for the good of us. So we, we actually had to – anytime we were involved in an event, we would turn it in, and they kept a, a tally. Um, but for me, it just became a way of life here. And thankfully, my wife and my young kids at the time were, were open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they'd come with me. A lot of times they didn't. Um, but even to this day now with the kids grown and gone, my wife, she loves to get dressed up and come to galas with me that where she might not have before sure. if I'm emceeing or doing something like that. So I just think it's important. And I know you do too, because yeah. not just for the brand, but, but for you, it, it feels good. feels good it it does, does, when yeah. you can really make a difference. Like, you know, what, what we get to do is fun. We have fun jobs. Sometimes your job isn't as fun. Sometimes my job isn't oh, yeah. that fun, depending on what you're dealing with on the day. There's been obviously topics and stories recently and oh, in the yeah. past that, you know, you're like, oh boy, that's not a fun topic. You dread talking about that. That kind of stuff, right? It, it's not as glamorous as people think. Right. You know, I get that, oh, you, oh, what a great gig. What time do you go in? About 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon? I'm like, no. Mm-mm. You know, I have a meeting on the way in, or I'm going in early to work on a project, or 
But we love it. That's right. Why That's why you yeah. do it. But what I really love is seeing the difference that you can make mm-hmm. in, in people and, and how you help somebody. And, yeah. and whether it's emceeing an event or just being somewhere and seeing somebody get something that they normally wouldn't get, like an opportunity to go to a Royals game or, or meet Patrick Mahomes or whatever the case may be, you see the way that people respond and react. And that's where it makes it all worth it, John. I agree. And I and, and I, my wife's. You need to learn to say no, right? Yeah, I mean, right. And and she's right. And sometimes we do. I mean, you have a family, you have a young family, and mm-hmm. but at the same time, you almost—it's fear of missing out, right? You yes. don't want to miss out on that event or who you might meet or an opportunity that might come along. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of the story ideas I pick up when I'm at some of these events. Hey, no question you hear about this or that or whatever. And and there are other folks in town on television and radio who who are the same way. I'm I'm not alone in that. Um, you mentioned Chris Katz. He's very involved in the community, and it's just it's a great way to network, get to know people, and uh, have fun, too. I mean, we had a great time at the Wiffle Ball. Yeah, right, right the, playing Wiffle Ball for <laughs> CU in the major I leagues. I was sore and, the next day or two. Oh, but, boy, uh, I was sore, too. I you was, wouldn't think, right? You know, I played seven games in 23 hours. No major leaguer could touch that, right? See, right? You know, and so I, I was definitely, <laughs> like, I was sore in places I haven't been sore in a very yes, long time. Yes. So. I just played in the one the right. we had with everybody, which was a blast. Um, and I, you're right, you wouldn't think Wiffle Ball. But you know what happens? That competitive kicks in. It does. You know, I'm going to race down the first base line, and mm-hmm. I'm just glad I didn't pull a hammy or anything. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hear you on that. Once you hit that over 40 or really over <laughs> that 30 range, you start to go, oh, I'm not as good as I used Yikes. to be. Um, how much did prostate cancer change your life and the way you, you approach life every day? It, it makes me very grateful that, that I was aware, number one, of my family history, mm-hmm. and number two, had access to good health care. I, I have an annual physical, always have. I was brought up in a medical family, so it was kind of ingrained. As a kid, my dad never looked at me because that's what dads do, right? They send you off to the family practice guy. My dad was an internist, but um, I knew my family history. I knew I was going to get prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. More men die with it than from it is the saying. What I figured is I'd be, oh, I'll be in my 60s, 70s, but I had the PSA test, the blood work, and my doctor watched it over a few checkups and finally said, you know, I think it's nothing. I, I think it's probably just an enlarged prostate, prostatitis or whatever, but I, I would recommend you get a biopsy. And I said, you're telling me I should get a biopsy. And he said, I would if I were you. And I said, okay, deal. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went to KU, got the biopsy, thought nothing of it, even the doctor, Brant Thrasher, one of the great guys I've ever met in the medical field and a really brilliant guy uh, told me after the biopsy, I don't think it's anything, but we'll get back with you. So when the phone rang a couple days later, I thought, hey, good news, nothing, right? And the gal on the phone says, no, actually, and it went from there. So, but we caught it early. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a blessing. I was able to get, I decided, my wife and I, to just, there's a thing called watchful waiting. I did not want to do that. I didn't want the cloud hanging over my head. Just get it out. Get it out. And that's what Dr. Thrasher, I'll never forget it. We were sitting there in the exam room, and he was. we were talking, and my wife was there taking notes. And he's going through all these options. And at the end of the option list that he ran through for, for KU, he said, if you were my brother, I'd tell you to get it out. He had kind of a southern drawl. And I looked at my wife. She looked at me, and I turned back, and I said, good enough for me. That's all you need to hear, right? All I needed to hear. Yeah. And he meant it. And, you know, I, I look back now. Yes. Were there issues to deal with as, as a man coming out of it? Yes. But in order to deal with those issues, I always like to say I had to be alive. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'd rather be alive dealing with them than not. You know, also with that, it's important for me because, uh, you know, I, I had an issue, went in and got the prostate exam for the first time about a month mm-hmm. and a half ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't not know. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everything's all right there. Then I went and got a colonoscopy about a week ago. Everything's clear Good. there. I'm, I'm hitting to that point of, you know, people are like, why are you getting a colonoscopy at 42? I'm like nagging mother. And my mother has been nagging me because of family history. But we're also finding out like all these age limits that doctors have put on things in the past are now you're too late if you're waiting to 50 if you're waiting to 45 you need to start getting this stuff done early and i'm trying to become more of an advocate now for people whether it's a prostate exam whether it's a colonoscopy get it done it does it's it's no big deal your insurance will cover it and everything will be taken care of and then you'll know and i had a friend tell me the other day goes i'm thinking about getting this but uh i'm scared they're going to tell me there's cancer i said well then they can take it out you know don't be scared that they're going to tell you there's cancer be scared that you're not going to know about it and you got grandchildren now how how do you want that going on you know that's a great point, and I, and I think it goes back to that theme. Men don't like to talk about their health. Right. We just don't. Somebody has to nag us, right? Um, and in my case, I didn't need any nagging because I just knew my family history, as you know yours, and I think that's so important. And one of the things I vowed I would do post-surgery was be an advocate and talk about it, and I've done that. Uh, Al Wallace, who's a recent guest of yours, mm-hmm. prostate cancer survivor wrote a book that includes he talks about it um and others and i just think that's it's a brotherhood you know and i've had complete strangers email me facebook me uh wives and girlfriends reach out to me and i've had conversations i've had coffee with men who are you know contemplating or dealing with it and, and i'm happy to do that because there were guys who did that for me sure and uh it's just one of those things it's not easy to talk about yeah you're talking about things that men are proud of and we, we all have egos and you have to deal with that post-surgery no, no question about it but fortunately for me the, I got it at the margins I, I get checked first every three months then six months now every year on my blood work and I've had no reason to have to go back for radiation or chemo perfect and that's yeah so that's the way out. you want to get it, it out and, and, and move on and yeah. then you can continue to live your life yeah. you know and and for you living your life means n- not only the news not only the charity stuff but sports is always important uh, if there's a big sports event there's John Holt even uh, if there's not man. like a KU football game there's <laughs> John Holt like like how important is sports to you you know as a kid growing up I wanted to go into sports I want I actually wanted to do play by play that was my my dream I, I grew up in central Kansas a small town great bend um, listening to the Royals on the radio, you know, watching the Chiefs, listening to radio on the Chiefs. Those were my two teams growing up, and um, just thought, man, that sounds like fun. And as as careers paths go, it, it never quite worked out. But I've been very fortunate in being a sports lover and a fan of all these teams that my bosses knew that. So, for example, going into the Royals, the 14, the year mm-hmm. that they went to the World Series, um I was put in a position, I'm very grateful that they put me in a position to cover the World Series. And then in 15, same thing. I like getting out of the studio. I like being live on location. We were able to do that both years. Same thing with, um, you know, just other big sporting events that we've had here. Uh, We came 10 inches shy of the Chiefs being, you know, in Atlanta, which I was scheduled to go and would have been a blast. And, you know, hopefully that's in our future, maybe this season. Uh, but uh, it, it is. It's fun for me. And, and what I do is I don't, I'm not the X's and O's guy necessarily. 
I leave that to the sports guys, but I love telling the, the other stories, you know, that go the side stories, the fan stories, the let's set the scene. You know, I've, I've had a chance to cover two Final Fours with KU, which is a blast. All three of the teams I've covered in major championship events were my teams. That's cool. And that makes it fun. It does make it a lot Doesn't of fun. It? Yeah. It, it really does. And and I think people lose sight of that sometimes, too. Like, hey, sports is about fun. Sometimes yeah. we take it a little bit too seriously, you know, and, and Boy, have a lot of hatred. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Like it's fun, man. Sports, sports is fun. It's okay to you have disagreements, but there's no reason to get angry over it. Sometimes, no, you know. No, and and that fortunately is something I don't deal with like you do on a day to day basis. Sure, which is you know the disagreement and the and you know to a certain extent we get involved on the news side. We, we, we watch these cable news shows, or you watch on ESPN the, the the talking heads battling back and forth, and then everybody now has a voice with social media, Twitter, and and Facebook. And now you can call in and talk to Bob Fesco and you can raise hell about, you know, mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill or this or that or whatever. Sometimes I think you do need to step back. I think you're right and just say, hey, you know what? Let's talk about the games. Yeah. Let's talk about the fun. Who, who do the Chiefs have next? Who do the Roy- How are the Royals doing with the trade, trade deadline approaching, things like that? It is fun. It can be. And not working in it, I get to go to the games and have fun. You're, you're Absolutely. <laughs> you get to enjoy it yeah. at times. Yeah. What was the most important day on air for you? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, Probably, uh, and I, I only say this because it comes to mind as being one of those days we all remember is that nine eleven. Yeah, and I was uh, I was at home that morning. It was a, I believe it was a weekday. I was scheduled to go in, saw what was happening on the network, and I was working out at home, and realized I think I need to go. And so I threw my suit on and ran in, and uh, we were on the air. They put uh, Phil Witt and I on together to do the local coverage. You know, what's Kansas City doing? Mm-hmm. Every city in America, you know, was like, okay, are we next? Are we under attack? What's going on? Um, so that may have been it. I It's a blur now, though. You look back and sure. you're kind of like, okay, I hope we did okay. I hope we were responsible in our reporting. And, um, you know, it seems to have worked out that way. But I think that might be the most um, most difficult day for me, um, the, mo- the most the, the biggest blast was uh, Game 5 of the World Series in New York yeah. and then the parade in terms of just fun. Fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, what was so the most fun your, day you've had on air? There's 180 you know, on, the, on, the, on the bad side and on the good side. Have you ever had like a worse day on the air where you're like, I can't wait till this day's over or I'm done with this? Oh, at least once a week. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you, there are days where the, the brain and the mouth don't engage. Yes, I know. Right? Yes. I mean, and, and we're on a teleprompter. Um, although I, I hate those things, frankly. You get caught up in You get so caught up you in do. those and things. And sometimes yeah. when you haven't seen a script, you're editing on the fly and you're doing the best you can to stay within so that the director knows when to roll the tape. They hated me in television because I just was uh, Yeah, you're all over the map, yeah. right? Um, so there are days where you're just dragging and it's, you know, or maybe you're trying to set up a story and you're working on a project and none of, nobody's returning your calls and the, or, or everybody's turning you down and it's just, it's just, it's, you know, there's no glamour in that, right? Right. But, you know, the one thing about what we do, and one of the reasons I didn't practice law is I know that at the end of the day, it's kind of like the Royals. At the end of the day, if they had a bad outing, they go home, they get up, and they, they have a game the next day. That's the way our jobs are. I can go home, hopefully sleep, let it go, and I'm better at that than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Get up the next morning and go, all right, game two of the three-game set. We're going to go out and we're going to win today. 
So that's what you know keeps you going. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question that you're probably going to be uncomfortable answering, okay. but I think it's important to talk about, and it's what happened with Channel Five and Tyreek Hill. And I don't want to ask you your opinion on Channel Five; that wouldn't be appropriate. No. But I want to know how do newsrooms handle big stories like that? Because there's been a lot of talk lately about the distrust and fake news and all of this kind of stuff. How do you guys mm. deal with all of that in the way that the consumer? handles news these days we do it collectively um i don't know how they did it but i I assume they did the same uh we do it collectively we we we, it might be in a meeting it might just be in the newsroom everybody gathers around okay here's what we have how do we handle this at the end of the day we all throw in our two cents worth and the higher pay grade you Mm -hmm. know the news director assistant news director the executive producers they're going to make the final call we have to live with it now, if it's an ethical issue and I have an issue with it, then I can then I can opt out. I suppose that hasn't happened yet in my career. I have let people know there have been occasions where stories have come in where I might know the party involved, and I'll tell the producer, "Have my co-anchor read that story." I just don't feel right about it. Uh, I would yeah, I would never try to squelch it. You, it's fine, but I just don't want to be a part of it. But in terms of something like that coming in, I think it's a collective thing first, and then obviously somebody has to make a call. We're going to do this or not, and. Uh, that's, again, the next level up. But they'll take care of Our people are really good about listening to us, the, 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 the troops on the ground. Here's mm-hmm. our concern. You, you, don't, you know that the wrong move can really affect you long term. And sometimes we have to step back and go, okay, we're not going to break this story. Here's why. Um, and I think you probably find this to be true, too. Social media has changed the game a little bit. No question. Because in our business... You don't just tweet out something you've heard. You let other people do that, right? right? Um, we still have to, I think, adhere to the old rules, the old school. I'm still old school. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to. I want this verified, confirmed, and then we'll tweet it out. If not, okay, we didn't get it out right away, but we we got it right. So I think that social media has really put the pressure on all of us to want to be first, and yet, okay, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. Who? Do, what are the implications of tweeting this out? Used to be you just you had till the next show. The right. next show is five o'clock for me, so we'll have time to talk and deliberate this. Now, no, everybody wants to be first out with you. You want to be on your website. You want to be you want to tweet it. You want to be on Facebook. And I just think sometimes you have to put the brakes on and say, wait a minute. And that's no indictment of Channel Five or mm-hmm. anybody else. That's just something I think our business in general, whether it's sports talk or news, you have to step back and say, okay, do we have this right? Ultimately, why does it matter who breaks the story? Like, I think it's an ego stroke for people inside the building. And other than that, does the listener, does the viewer really know or care who broke the story? I don't think they do. I think we do. Yeah. It's competitive. And we say in our newscast, you'll hear us say, first, you saw it first on Fox. Right. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Right. You know, maybe you saw it on another station. You weren't watching us when we broke it. And we're just trying to remind you it's a branding thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think sometimes we as as an industry kind of get caught up like that. But like the public trust seems like an all time low with us right now with the media. I hear it all the time. The media this, the media that, fake news this, mm-hmm. fake news that. And I, I don't really know what to tell people when they when they bring that kind of stuff up. What do you tell people when they say the public trust is down of the media right now? Well, I say probably rightly so for some of the things we just talked about, that, that we, we maybe have gotten out over our skis a bit on some of our speed of reporting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, too, there's this there's one thing I have to remind viewers is um, there's a difference between the cable news talking heads 
you know, in, let's let's look at Fox News for example. There's a difference between Sean Hannity, who's has a show with an agenda, and during the afternoon when a Shepard Smith is on, just going through the news of the day and tossing to correspondents. Sometimes Fox News correspondents. Sometimes it's local correspondents. We've had our people on his show just reporting on tornado damage or whatever. There's no agenda there but to just cover the news. The talking heads typically are in prime time. The afternoon mornings are typically just, you know, we're covering the days now. Mm-hmm. Fox and Friends in the morning, I get it. You know, sure. It's a different animal. But generally, the correspondents out there toiling away at, you know, Capitol Hill, the Supreme Court, or out across the country in the bureaus, they're covering the news. Um, so bring that down to the local side. We, we are a Fox affiliate. Our people are just covering local news. We're, we, don't, we're, we don't have an agenda. We want to get both sides. We want to try to get it right. Uh, we want to advocate if that's an appropriate thing, mainly consumer-type stories. We have our problem-solver unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tell people, look, you develop a trust with you know the stations, the reporters, the people who you believe don't have an agenda, and most of the local stations don't. They're just toiling away trying to get you the you know some cover different types of stories, but hopefully we're all out there you know doing the right thing and covering responsibly. Don't let the cable shouting. Uh, the the talk shows on radio and TV jade you and and also we we live in a time where again I'm not this is not political but you have a president who coined that term right uh, and and in some regards he may be right in other regards he's wrong you have to decide for yourself you're a consumer just like you would buy a car pick a channel pick a reporter pick a subscription that you trust where do you think this industry's heading. Wow, that's a good question, and I think it's probably, I think we're headed digital. We're already there in many ways. We're doing this podcast. People can download it and listen to it whenever. Whenever, right, right yeah. Um, I think it is an on-demand world. I think um, uh, a lot of it's going to depend on, I mean, how quickly that happens depends on you know national you know, spectrums and mergers between Sprints and mm-hmm. T-Mobiles and things, 5G roll out of that, but... Um, yeah, I think uh, – I'm not saying that broadcast is going away, though. I'm not one of those people that – I've had people tell me for 10 years, oh, you are you guys are toast, you better – no, 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 we're, adva- we're, as you are, adapting to the new landscape. We didn't used to worry about Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We didn't – our Facebook – our website was terrible. We Now it's yeah, – you got to monetize it. So now it's a part of our business model. You have to adapt or you're going to get left behind. And so I think there's still – listen, you want a mass audience – whether it's television or radio, those are the two best mediums to reach them. And your advertisers will say that, too. Yep. Right? I, I agree. wants to reach, I, yeah. you know, or, or in, in, in many cases, it's I want to target an audience. Men, sports talk. Mm-hmm. You know, women might be Fox Prime. Right. We, you know, news, we, our target is 2554 women. Um, We'll take men too. Sure, we'll take them outside that demo. But our ad department sells twenty five fifty four adults. But boy, they love women. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Now in, in, we're about halfway, a little more than halfway through this year. What's the okay. biggest issue or topic or whatever facing Kansas City for the rest of twenty nineteen? I think it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I know Kansas City is a metropolitan area of many, you know, suburbs, school districts city councils, you've got county government. But I think Kansas City, Missouri is going to bear close watching. August 1, you have a new mayor. 
after eight years of Sly James, who moved the city forward in many ways. And and you can argue, okay, but neighborhoods left got left behind, that that was kind of the Quentin Lucas approach. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're all for development, but these incentives, we need to rethink. Maybe we need to take that money in, or the, those tax dollars and put them to work in the neighborhoods. Um, it's very complicated. Greater economic minds than I will figure that out. But I think it'll be interesting to see how a new council and a new mayor, because we want to see downtown continue to develop. We want to see the city grow. Um, the streetcar line extension, I think, is, is going to be important. But will are they mutually exclusive? I don't think so. I think you can do both. Affordable housing is now a buzzword. So in terms of just the metro area, I think that's going to be important to see how Kansas City, Missouri continues or what path it takes with a whole new crop of faces, including on the 29th floor at City Hall. I'm going to leave you with a tough one, but I think a fun one, too. Have some fun with it. Three things that will happen in the next 10 years in Kansas City. Wow. I can't. I can't use single terminal airport. No, that's done already. No, you're. you're no, that 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 uh, that layup is oh, over, my friend. Wow, good point. Um, three things that will happen. Ten years. I think uh, KU football will win a national championship. Oh, you're out of your mind I'm right now. You said, you said have fun. With I it. don't know. I yeah, know you're a Jayhawk fan. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Well, I do think we'll see, I think we will see hopefully more bi-state cooperation. Oh, I love the, that. The USDA that. Is, yep. is coming. Now they're, now that the bi-state got it here or has it coming, now each side of the state line is vying for it. So right. we'll see. I think you'll see more consolidation of businesses. Unfortunately, we're not the corporate headquarters town we used to be. Mm-hmm. I wish you hate to lose that because those decision makers donate to local charities. Yeah. They support the charities you and I are attending events for, right? When when Sprint was at, in its prime, that label was everywhere. Still is, but the decision makers are now going to be less centralized. Um and last but not least, boy. I had a thought and lost it. Happens hmm. to the best of us. Yeah, no it? kidding. Uh Especially as we age, uh, maybe that's the title for years, your book. You I know, had a thought and lost it. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna let Al Wallace write the books. Um, I think I'll tell you what. I'll throw a, a fun one out there. The Royals go to the World Series again. I think so too. I really believe we won't wait 30 years. No, no. I think baseball's figuring it out. I, in Dayton, we trust. It's the process. So there you have it. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll be less a corporate headquarters consolidation of industry and businesses will still grow. I don't think that's going to... Mm-hmm. Uh, KU football wins a national title and the Royals are in the World Series. Hope we have a parade. Me too. That was fun too. John has clearly seen a lot in his time in Kansas City and it's really cool to hear how some of those great moments centered right around sports. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the KC Bobcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law